Might we be able to start 2020 all over? <laughs> I know. God is good. You and I uh, are definitely in the minority as we define Christmas. The world has uh, run off and run far away with the idea and the meaning of Christmas, as you know. Uh, the birth, I, I almost don't even like calling it Christmas. There's just too many attachments to it that are totally wrong, unnecessary, all that. And so, you know, call it the birth of Christ, celebration. Uh, it... it gets much more specific there. It's the birth of Christ that we celebrate. And that's what we want to talk about here today. Because all the little famous Christmas songs that you and I can sing out just like that uh, have very little meaning to what we're dealing with. It, it almost turns Christmas into like this fluffy, soft fairy tale. You know, it's all been... Disneyized. I, I shared that with somebody earlier this week. You know where, uh, you know the the fair prince has shown up, and uh, you know it's it's rather frustrating when you get right down to it and and let the scriptures define what it's all about. So it's actually. Uh, more like a crazy concoction of stories um, and Jesus gets tossed aside. Um, you know, some of the tunes that we think of, uh, have yourself a holly jolly, no. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. I, yeah, that's warm and fuzzy. Um, but we don't want to go there what we would rather do, yeah, yeah, and I get it, I'm sorry, I, um, we can be nostalgic, okay, and that's all right. But you know that um, there's actually more of a dark side to the Christmas story, and we're going to do our best to deal with that here this morning. As we look at what the world has done it's really removed the conflict out of the story. It's removed the whole conflict out of the narrative. You know, um, but as we look at the biblical record, it gives us the truth and it doesn't hold back the details. We don't have every detail that we might like to have. We've still got questions about it and we might even address some of those here this morning. But what we have really, uh, and Stephen implied it when he was up here for prayer, there, at the birth of Christ, it was the incarnation. Here's a miracle, folks. But this wasn't all of a sudden, oop, there it is. Here's the start of everything right now. No, because the struggle started back at creation. 
And it carried on through the Old Testament. And we might not read it or recognize it, but it's there. The conflict exists. The great struggle for the hearts and souls of mankind. And here at the incarnation, Jesus showed up. So God has been true to his promise in, you know, from Genesis 3 and on throughout. The word became flesh. The word. The word had been with God and was God. And was with God. And the word, what? Was God. And the word became flesh. So it's not all of a sudden, here, here's the start of everything at the birth of Jesus. No, here's the fulfillment that God brought about in sending his son, the Messiah King. The one who came to offer up his life for you. And it's the journey, the struggle is ongoing through his earthly life. And you, you read about it in the Gospels. Here's his journey, his, the whole journey to the cross. And the struggle's there. The struggle was back in the Old Testament. The enemy would attack the righteous line. And here in the Gospel story of Jesus' birth, the enemy attacks. And so, if you'll take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 2, we'll look at this. Matthew chapter 2. It starts in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or the, the magi, from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, by the way, that was clear. In regards to, I mean, we had Pastor Brian speak about that last week in regards to the shepherd. He's a king. He's coming. He's going to rule. So Herod has got that. At least he's got that. Then, verse 7, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And so they did that. Now, drop down to verse 16. Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who are two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah a voice was heard in Rama, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. 
she refused to be comforted because they are no more. This says the word of the Lord. Please, let's pray. Father, we uh, again bow before you, the author of our faith, the author of this book, using men who wrote down what you would have written down. And thank you for this account in Matthew and for the Old Testament prophecy in Jeremiah. Help us in understanding what you want us to understand and uh, grow in it and learn and love you more because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, no one wrote a Christmas song or carol about Herod. And in our first point here, in your outline, uh, we won't stop with just calling him Herod the Great. Let's just call him Herod the Maniac, okay? Herod the Great Maniac. You might, later on as you talk about it, add another couple of descriptions to him. (laughs) But for now, we'll just leave it at Herod the Great Maniac. We've got three subpoints here, and uh, we want to just start with the first one being that um, here was a selfishly evil character. And um, really, on the surface of things, he was famous for a number of things, some good things that he did for Israel. He had a number of building projects that he accomplished in Jerusalem, in the, the vicinity, um, and he was pretty pretty good at that kind of stuff. But really, it was more a, a, a thing of um, his own doing, his for his glory, uh, uh, selfish reasons behind it. But he wanted to impress, especially his Roman advisors and his Roman uh, uh, authorities that were over him. He also wanted to impress the Jewish people them, uh, themselves. He had built a gorgeous temple. He had built a, a velodrome, a horse stadium. He had a lavish summer palace uh, down near the Dead Sea called Masada. He built that. It was uh, self-sufficient for him and his close associates, his family, whatever. You know, He could uh, hold a troop of soldiers up there to protect himself and be self-sufficient for a long time. But... Most of what he did was simply to gain the applause of people. So it was mostly all done for his own glory. And his evil nature, his evil character was displayed in how he dealt with his contemporaries when he felt threatened. Herod would have that person killed, assassinated. And even to the point where he would kill family members, his wife, his mother-in-law, sons. Mostly because he was being threatened by what he thought that they were doing. Even upon uh, a week or so before his death, he had ordered his henchmen to round up and arrest leading figures from around Jerusalem in the outlying areas. He wanted them killed when he died. He wanted them killed. You know what the reason was? He wanted all of Jerusalem to mourn his own death. And he he wanted to guarantee that, that they would mourn. 
by killing these other leaders in the, in the area. Well, that didn't come about when he, he died. He died and, and not sure what happened to the arrest of those. I'm, I'm guessing that they were set free. But obviously, he was self-absorbed and self-glorifying tyrant. If you got in his way, you would be killed. Second point, uh, letter B. He was a shamelessly, it was a shamelessly evil crime committed. Or you could just say he was a shamelessly evil criminal himself. He got away with murder, literally. And his handling of the threat discovered in Bethlehem was not out of form for him. You know, this is recorded in, in Scripture. We don't have, you know, as much recorded about, you know, his other actions and deeds. But this is in the Bible, the best-selling book in eternity in the universe, right? And here it is. It's recorded in God's Word, this dastardly deed. It was evidence of his own track record with other people. And the soldiers, or maybe we should say the thugs, sent out to kill these little boys in the vicinity, not just in Bethlehem, but in the area around Bethlehem, two years old and under, simply reveals a heartless, ruthless deed. And we don't know how many were killed, how many boys in Bethlehem area. We don't know how many were killed. And by the way, it wasn't that far from Jerusalem. So when, you know, again, when the report was given by the scribes and the chief priests and all, um, it wasn't that far to go to Bethlehem, even by way of walking. It was something like seven miles. But the experts and the religious people, we don't read of that. All we read of was that the magi, the wise men, kept seeking him and went to went on to Bethlehem. But see, again, here's one of those things about the nativity scene. The wise men were not there at the manger. Sorry. Is later on. Wait a minute. How do you know that? Verse 11 in chapter 2. Would you please maybe you just want to underline the house? That they left. <laughs> okay. So again, just, just be on the lookout for a lot of these false little additions or takeaways to the Christmas story, uh, the birth of Jesus story. Certainly, though, along lines of letter B under number one, Herod was a dark, dark, sh- showing a dark, dark side of evil. A vicious, heartless killer. How could anyone send trained soldiers to wipe out, even if it's five little boys? But he did it. And reports have it anywhere from 10 to 40. We don't know. Bethlehem wasn't a big metropolis at all. And another thing we don't know is how many of the collateral damage there was done by a father or mother trying to protect their child from this butchery. Very sick and sobering. Let her see. Building up to this very point that there's 
a seriously evil comparison that we can then deduct in this. Well, first, what comes to mind, obviously, is the Old Testament. Here's that narrative again, the struggle that keeps on happening. Here's Pharaoh in Egypt wiping out Israeli little boys being born. I would also call that Herod was a type of the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist. Again, wanting to wipe out anything of God. But also, let us not go the route of thinking, well, at least I'm not like Herod. At least I'm not like Pharaoh of Egypt. What's the deal with that? Because this is really a full-on display of godlessness, of wickedness by Herod. And that reflects all of us at some level, like it or not. Why? (laughs) Because we all have the very same sin nature problem in us. Yes, Herod's was way out of control. We got that. But don't miss this. This Here's this central truth about human nature. Sin is in you and me. Not just the temptation to sin, not just the propensity to sin, but sin itself dwells in us. We don't like to hear that part. We don't like to hear the slaughter of infants at Bethlehem. So let's just, you know, shift things and bring on St. Nicholas and his reindeer. But these kinds of things force us to confront the truth about who we really are. Right? So that's Herod the Great Maniac. Number two, what about this Old Testament prophecy? We read it. It's there in verse 18. And Matthew pretty much directly quotes it from Jeremiah chapter 31. What we see first is um, trying to connect these dots. And we connect it with, first of all, Ramah, which is the location uh, known where many um, of, of the exiles were gathered, the prisoners were gathered of Jews and deported off to in this case, Babylon or Assyria. And quite likely, people crying, screaming out for what was going on there as it's fulfilled in Bethlehem for the mothers that were crying there. What about, why is Rachel brought in? Well, Rachel is tagged here as the representative mother of Israel. As any mother would be inconsolable in losing her child. And it says she refused to be comforted because they were no more. And it's a picture of, you know what folks? There's no hope here. There's no hope. But if you go back to Jeremiah 31... And read, there's that verse, verse 15. And you keep reading from verse 15. Bible study students, here's the context of Jeremiah 31. 
You know what you run into? You run into the new covenant. There's this letter B under number two. Here's the new covenant promise. And God understood. He understands all. He's wise above all else. And so at this point, he brings forth and announces through Jeremiah the new covenant because the old Mosaic covenant had failed or the people failed with the old covenant. They couldn't keep the law. So Jeremiah prophesies this. Here's the new covenant coming. And it's following the issue of suffering. Do you see that? It follows right along from the issue of suffering. And this new covenant thus eventually will give the future hope to those who believe. And you can read about it. You see the reference Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 37. So. There's a little bit, just, we're just kind of scratching the surface with this Old Testament prophecy. But it's there, and it's fulfilled. Not in a bright, shiny way, a sad, sorry way. It's fulfilled. And just like in Jeremiah 31, where there's hope just around the corner, prophesied, here in Bethlehem, here's the hope of the world who, by the way, by, by the time the soldiers showed up, Mary and Joseph had taken Jesus off to Egypt. He already gone, already escaped. Providence, amen? And sovereignty, amen? There it is. God's doing. But at the point of the day after, here are people mourning in the streets in Bethlehem, stunned with what's just happened. No announcement, just soldiers walking in. We don't know what the, if they asked, how old is your child? They, they couldn't ask for a birth certificate. How did the soldiers react? Oops, sorry, that one was five years old. We don't know. But this brutal killing, this slaughter of those little boys left their parents in total complete shock and horror. And you know what follows? In times like that, you know what follows. Number three, why? 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 As it is with any tragedy, disaster, crisis, sudden accident, etc. As intelligent and emotionally driven people, so many questions come up in our minds. In letter A, we start with why this senseless slaughter. And no one can answer that. But Herod and the soldiers have been held accountable to it. I guarantee that. Amen? 
God's the perfect judge. He's held them accountable. But still, I can't answer it. You can't answer it. And it's simply because a lunatic in Jerusalem gets all bent out of shape for someone's attitude or glance or mention of somebody else being the king. And all sorts of people in, in Herod's domain gets called out for threatening the king. Sick and sad again. But not only that specific senseless slaughter, but letter B, just in general, why this suffering? So it's not just this incident. So it's with all similar random events that shock us. I've, I know I've said it. Maybe you have too as an adult. You, you, you say it in kind of a hopefully wise way to young people. Say, you're dealing with that? Well, welcome to our world. <laughs> you got more coming, buddy. Welcome to the real world. We've seen it or heard it in our lifetime many times over. Where is God? Why didn't God save? Why didn't God rescue? Why didn't God stop? Why didn't God prevent? Why didn't God deliver? Why didn't God do something to stop it? We don't have answers. And we might not like the answers. But it leads us kind of full circle again back to the old struggle. Letter C. This age-old struggle. It's the big picture of the ongoing battle between God and Satan, between good and evil. And remember, it's been happening for all of time. The attacks by the enemy of God are on God's ways, are directed at God's word and at God's people. And it's going to last throughout all of time and creation until the final judgment. Under, under, it's under letter C there. And yes, Christian, there's going to come a day, there'll be a great celebration when the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire for his final doom, his final and forever destruction. Until then, the battle continues. The struggle with suffering, the struggle with sin, and the struggle with just our own flesh. But, under letter C, uh, under number three C, is that it opens up, most importantly, most importantly, it opens up the gospel of Jesus Christ to us. This age-old struggle with suffering, with hardship, with afflictions, with sin, with the struggles 
we have in life. We can look at the gospel as like soothing oil of gladness that is poured over the, the wounds of all these things. It gives us hope. And we see it here, starting with the story of Christ's birth. It's not like he got, you know, that the, the, you know, Mary and Joseph got an escort down from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's not like they got, uh, you know, special treatment in Bethlehem. All that stuff. You know, it really appears like they were homeless for at least a few years in being away from Nazareth. So, here are sojourners not uh, being treated like a, a king or a king's family, right? And the sojourners eventually left uh, the Bethlehem area, went to Egypt, eventually left there. When they heard Herod was dead, they went up back and eventually went to Nazareth. And oh, by the way, insult-ridden Nazareth. Could anything good come out of Nazareth? You're Nazarene? Insults starting out. Uh, more insults and, and rejection. It, implying Jesus was illegitimate. That's what he was getting. Here's, here's this slowly growing momentum of stuff being said about him. And yes, there was a, a lot of people that followed after him for the bread, for the miracles, for the show. But few would continue. His disciples didn't even, you know, they, they turned away except for Simon Peter at, at his arrest. So all of this, it, it's just, it's, here's what's leading up to his faithful ministry and it, no, it was not glamorous. In fact, what helps us is understanding the prophet Isaiah prophesying of this in Isaiah 53. If you want to turn there, fine. Isaiah 53, I'm going to read it to you. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. And on top of the just the looks thing, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. Obviously, that dealing with his beating that he took in, in, you know, before his crucifixion. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That's a portion of Isaiah 53. So I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, here's Jesus. He, he didn't just all of a sudden at the, at the time of the arrest and the, the Roman beating and and his crucifixion, that's not when he started the suffering. 
It had been building up throughout his life, throughout his ministry. Let me just read this. This is, I think, important to share. Um, It came across in a devotional reading that I have. And um, the author says this. It's incredibly encouraging to think about as you and I make our way through a world that is marked by hatred, violence, injustice, racism, betrayal, disloyalty, selfishness, abuse, and many other forms of relational sin and brokenness. Listen, Jesus was willing to be despised. He was willing to face rejection. He was willing to subject himself to hatred and violence. He was even willing to have the Father turn his back on him. And now he asks the question, why? He did it willingly so that as his children, you and I, would be able to live in hope and peace of knowing That no matter what we face in the human community, we're perfectly and eternally loved by Him. And please, brother, sister, don't forget it. It's what He came to do. Kind of like a second perfect Moses. Remember, Moses was delivered from the the Pharaoh's sword, went into hiding, so to speak, and then delivered his people out of bondage from Egypt. Well, guess what? Jesus came to deliver us out of the pit of sin, the bondage of sin, and to free you by his grace. We've got lots to be thankful for. More than we could ever count. And by the way, back to the connection with Moses. Who's the Passover lamb? Right? The Passover lamb in the book of Exodus got killed, slaughtered, blood up on the doorpost. Here's Jesus. Where John the Baptist cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, we have this gospel, my friend. The gospel is Jesus. What we have was, listen, purposely laid out like a diamond. where, Where did jewelers put a diamond? against a black backdrop. Why? To see the splendor, to see the glory, to see the magnificence of the diamond. And all too often, I'm looking at the black backdrop. So are you. Let's keep our eyes on the diamond of the gospel, Jesus. So that when we get hit with suffering, with the Results of sin in mankind and ourselves, etc. He's the one that's our shining hope. He's the shining glory. 
revealing God himself. And he bore our sins in his body. He was the perfect sacrifice unto God. Now what? Number four on your outline. Now what? Well, uh, we can even just start with Romans 8 there, saying that all of creation continues to groan. You get that? It's not just we want to go to heaven as Christians. It's all of creation is groaning. But also, the weeping continues. Letter B, the weeping continues. It's in this sin-cursed life on earth. Tears are shed. A lot of tears have been shed this week. But we have joy in knowing where Danny's at. We have hope in that ourselves. But the tears continue in what we face. Young people, as you grow and face difficulty and problems, understand your hope is in Jesus Christ, not in the things of this world. The world can't offer you much at all other than a merry, merry, holly, jolly, whoopie-doo Christmas. It's Jesus. It's not some church denomination. It's Jesus. He's the one. And so, yes, we deal with this sin-cursed life on earth. And guess what? Also, under letter 4B... It's in the afterlife. Weeping and tears are going to continue for those that do not know Jesus. Do you understand that? There's going to be eternal weeping, tears in hell. You know what Herod was condemned for? Herod wasn't condemned for killing all those baby boys in Bethlehem. He was condemned because he rejected the true king. May that not be the case with you. Understand that there will be the weeping. There will be gnashing of teeth, as Jesus himself says. But, let us see. In Christ... In Christ, only in Christ, can we have this hope. Romans 15, verse 13. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Bingo! Jeremiah 31, 31. New covenant. There it is. You have this hope, believer. Child of God, you have this hope. No matter what suffering, no matter what difficulty or affliction you face, you have this hope. And yeah, we get in the pit with the, too much attention on the things of the world. Lord, help us to be people that keep our eyes fixed on you. It's all based on Jesus and his work to redeem man, the redemption of man. And now we are participants of the new covenant coming into faith in Christ. We enjoy this amazing. He's, he's written it in our hearts. 
So, you can look up those references in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 another time, but they de- uh, further develop this idea of the new covenant in the life of the believer. So, may we live in the Spirit. May we walk in the Spirit. May we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we won't be filled with the things of the flesh and the things of this world. So, we wrap it up with this. In the Bethlehem massacre, in the slaughter of those little boys, Herod thought he'd gotten uh, an advantage. He did not. And likewise, here's now the slaughter in Jerusalem of the Lamb of God. The powers that took Jesus down and whipped him and bruised him and put him on the cross. They thought they had gotten the advantage and gotten rid of him. Done with that guy, that, that heretic, that blasphemer. All the insults built up. No, we sang it earlier. He rose up from the grave. Thank you. Did I need to say anything more? Maybe you are sleeping or slumbering or I don't know what, but you rise up from the dead here. (laughs) Come on. He rose up. There's victory in Jesus. But this way is through a way of suffering. My way through obedience, my friend. Love and obedience to Jesus. Jesus came to redeem the world. He redeemed the world through a cross. What are we, I, that's, I think that's suffering. He sealed that redemption with the resurrection. That was his plan. And it's reminding us that the devil doesn't get the last word. The devil doesn't get the last move. God gets the final word. That's the gospel. Here's the good news. Do you understand what you need to do in admitting your rebellion and rejection of the Messiah? Can we answer all the questions that you might come up with? No. But what's the core of the truth right here, right now? What is the core of the truth? Have you somehow missed out on the sin disease? We're all sinners. No, not like King Herod. But we're all sinners. And we need a Savior. So, even though we do, we live in a world where evil many times rules the day, we can carry on having our living hope. And you read about that in First Peter where Peter's talking about suffering. So let's remember the truths of the Bible. Emmanuel means God is with us. Hebrews 13. He will never leave you nor forsake you, child of God. So when you hit the suffering mode, no one signs up for it, but when you do, 
You call to mind these things, these truths. So no matter what we face, <laughs> He is with us when we laugh, when we cry, when we hit suffering, when we celebrate. He's with us to the end. Jesus won. Herod lost. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Praise God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've accomplished and what you continue to accomplish. Your work is not done. You continue to do your work in the children uh, of your family, saved by grace, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, we praise you for these truths. Lord, help us to be a people that recognizes what the world has done and how the world has changed all sorts of words and meanings. Help us, Lord, to be learning more and more from you in your word. Please be glorified in all of this. Lord, again, we lift up Deborah and Sheila and Eric and Heather. Thank you for the comfort you've given them and the encouragement you've given them through believers and through your own, your own peace that passes understanding. Lord, we... Pray that you would be honored and glorified in Tuesday's time. And uh, we ask also that you would raise up all the people that we know who are sick with this disease and help them to heal up quickly. Help them to rely on you. Help them to trust you. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be the glory, the majesty, dominion and authority. Before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. There will be someone up front here if you'd like to uh, have prayer. Or uh, you want to ask prayer for some situation. And then uh, please remember tonight's service at six o'clock. To God be the glory. Amen. Thank you so much. You're dismissed.